All right, Matt, how's it going? We're doing good. Um, bit of a bit of a rough week for the boys. Um, solidified with the with a nice little victory uh, at, at the end of the week, but uh, you know we're we're hanging in there. We're doing good. How are you? I can't complain when you go uh, top of the table going into an international break. So definitely feeling good there. Uh, before we get going, as always, uh, you working on anything right now? So right now I do have, I do have a nice little uh, glass of, it's called Hatch uh, from Hatch uh, Distillery in Egg Harbor, Wisconsin, uh, up near the, uh, up past uh, Sturgeon Bay, about a, about a half hour past Sturgeon Bay. So working on that, nice bourbon, very smooth, highly recommend it. Uh, I picked it up at Total Wine, so it's, it's quite good. Fair what enough. about you? What do you got? I'm working on a, a pot or uh, switching up a little bit, working on a, a party pack from Mobcraft Beer. So right now, currently working on the MC Amber. And I uh, also got the Low Funk and Vanilla Wafer Porter. Oh, very nice. Very so it nice. Be a, should be a nice roller coaster of an, of an evening here. <laughs> it's usually how it goes. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, getting into the getting into the football here. Uh, let's see this week, uh, as mentioned, we got two matches. Uh, we'll talk about the, the big one first, uh, one nil loss in Turin to Juventus, uh, on Wednesday, uh, Federico Bernadeschi, uh, assisting, uh, Federico Chiesa, uh, on a goal in the 46th minute, hard to call it 46 minutes, about 10 seconds into the second half. Uh, but that was the decider, uh, Chelsea without a shot. Uh, despite controlling most of the possession. Matt, you and I have talked a lot about this match <laughs> in the in the buildup to the recording here. So let's uh, let's start making those some of those opinions public here. What what do you think of the match? Um overall, I thought it was I thought it was poor on Chelsea. Um they they didn't do enough to create their chances. They had a couple, um, you know, Kai had a couple, Rom, Rom had a, had a halfway decent one, actually two of them. Um, it, it, it seems to be a common theme uh, after watching the game. It seems to be a common theme that teams that go against us, like teams that actually try to press us teams that really just want to make us feel uncomfortable they succeed a lot. Um, you know, we saw that with Villa. You know, we go back to that two weeks ago. We saw that with Villa. They pressured the hell out of us, and it made us very uncomfortable. We weren't able to move the ball like we normally do. Juve, even without Murata and Dybala, I'm not going to throw Murata in the, into this conversation, but with Dybala as one of their most dynamic players and goal scorers, wasn't even in, but they were still able to create chances. And the thing is they sat back, like they, they went full, full Jose Mourinho. They parked the bus, they played the counter. Um, and ultimately Chelsea didn't do enough in the final third, as far as movement, as far as creating their own chances, 
the way that I kind of want to sum it up is they, they came in to the game as the previous champions expecting Hubei to roll over for them, and it didn't happen. Yeah, and you, you talk about that press, and it's, it's not even just Villa. It's not even just Hubei. It has been every team since Villa has pressed. Tottenham had us on the first half. Uh, Spurs match City went the whole 90 uh, pressuring and we just can't seem to break it and you know you'd figure you, you go into to training every day and you're working on that press because Chelsea do the same thing when they're they're in form so you, you've got to figure that the, the boys know how to break you know break out of a press but you know you and I have been talking in the, the lead up to this there, there's something there that's not helping and that's the the lack of movement uh yeah I, i've been saying it for a week with for weeks with with kai havertz um and even sometimes with zeek but there's there's no overlapping runs there's no no movement off the ball and so it makes it very hard to, to push the ball forward to, to create those opportunities and what it looks like to me is a mixture of sorry ball and greg Ber, greg berhalter ball a lot of back passes, a lot of non-movement, a lot of just hoping that somebody's going to take it on their own and, and go at the defense. But without a Pulisic, without Timo Werner, without uh, you know Mason Mount at the time, we just don't have that one person who's going to do it. And so it, it looks stagnant. Yeah, and, you know, as I, as I watched the game, um, I, I kind of realized something. You know, starting starting Alonzo and Ziyech on the left side, that was an interesting play. In the first 10, 15 minutes, it worked. There were a lot of good overlapping runs, but at the same time, after that, after Juve was able to figure that out, you have two players on your left side going up against Danilo, uh, Chiesa, and Quadrado, you're putting arguably your two worst defenders and your two slowest defenders against that kind of speed. Like, I, I, I get the idea of it, and for, like I said, for 10, 15 minutes, it worked, but that opens up the entire left side, and that was honestly their strong point the entire match was down their right side. That's where they opened up everything. That's where they drew fouls. The one thing I will say, I liked how Ziek played. He he showed more aggression than I've ever seen him in his entire career. Like the I, I'm okay with the fact that he had three fouls after 20 minutes. Like I'm okay with that. Which to me to me, that means he understands Tugel's message. He needs to be more aggressive. He can't just lay back and, you know, just hope that the ball comes to him and then pull some sort of magic out of his ass. Like, he was in on challenges. He was trying to track back. Like, he was making, he was making those plays. So, from that standpoint, I like that. But, overall, it looked like a bunch of pissed-off teenagers who who just got scolded by their parents like that's honestly how how it looked 
everybody was out there to try and do something about it. And they just went at it with, you know, reckless abandon. They were just going after everything. There were a lot of fouls in that first half and probably half of them should have, should have been arguably yellow, but like they were just going after, which you like to see after the city match, but the same time they're kind of fouling because it's not, they don't know what they're doing. Yeah, and you used a great analogy there of the, the teenagers um, doing something real reluctantly. Uh, I thought Tuchel did a great job playing parent in there. You know, he had the, the triple substitution uh, in about the 65th minute where Ziyech, uh, Jorginho, and Dave all came off for three guys who you would hope are hungry in Cho, Chaloba, and Loftus-Cheek. And then a couple minutes later, you bring on Barkley as well. I thought that was a great move. I thought that was a signal to the rest of the squad saying shape up or ship out because we've seen Loftus cheek over the last couple of weeks has been fantastic. Chaloba has grown into his own Cho. I'm still not sold on as right wing back, but Tuchel seems to trust him a lot more now. And who would have thought Ross Barkley would be getting minutes over Saul. Um, you know, I, I thought he sent a statement to the squad and you know, if we, if we transition here into the Southampton game, uh, I thought it was pretty effective shot across the bow. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it, it was almost kind of like pay homage to Frank at that point, because you trusted the youth. Like it was a young squad that he threw out there. If you look at everything, it was a young squad. RLC getting a start, show up top. Like the the thing with, and we'll probably get into this a little bit deeper, but the thing with Cho is he can play all over the pitch, which makes him so dynamic. He can play wherever. But the fact that you throw that much weaponry, you throw that much pace at Southampton, they're not, they're not known for being a, a solid or stout defensive team. Like, yeah, they put up they put up a good match against City. Uh, like, give them that. But once you start throwing all sorts of different pace at them and all sorts of different options, and then you bring on you bring on Ross. We we half-heartedly joke about Ross. Like we we love Ross. We you know, he kind of is what it is. That ball that he had to to Dave to set up that goal for Timo. Oh, and that was the second touch. Oh, it, it was just filthy. It, like, it was such a good ball. Like, the fact that we have that kind of talent on our squad that we haven't actively been using is, is kind of crazy. You know, we, we have this youth at our disposal. RLC, he's 24, 25. Cho, I think, just turned 21. Like, and they're almost getting to the point where they are, you know, mainstays at, at Chelsea. And to, to have that kind of to have that kind of ability and to have that that fluctuation where you can go from one to the other pretty seamlessly, it I, I think it helps a lot. But I do think that it is a message to Kai, to Ziek. You know, Mount is starting to come 
it's starting to kind of come back into it, into his old form. Um, you know, it's, it's a message to them. Like, you know, pick up your shit. Like it's, it's been stagnant for a long time. Um, especially with Zeke and Kai, it's been stagnant and something needs to change. And hopefully this is kind of the, the kick that they need to, to either get back to the form that they were in before we bought them or they need to go elsewhere. Agreed. And just to, to run down that Southampton game, uh, again, that was 3-1 at home. Uh, Chaloba with the first half diving header uh, to the back of the net. James, James Ward-Prowse converts a penalty in the 61st before being sent off with a red on a 70, in the 77th, which we'll get to in a minute here. Uh, 10-man, Southampton couldn't, uh, couldn't hold the gate there. Uh, Timo Werner scores on a fantastic goal, as, as Matt had alluded to there. Uh, and then finally, Chills closes it out in the 89th minute, make it 3-1. Uh, I, I do want to talk about the, the Ward-Prowse red card because the, it was very clearly a crucial moment in the game. Uh, you know, he had just 15 minutes prior converted a penalty to tie it up uh, as Chills just looked silly against Timo Livermento. Uh, and honestly, at that point, going into the VAR uh, review for the red card, I had the feeling that, oh, God, we're going into a, we're trying to take a draw into the international break. We're going to be sitting around fourth or fifth and table. Just bad thoughts. Uh, you know, I mentioned to you and Parker that that may be the start of Tuchel out. When you see that, when you see the foul and you see the, the, the subsequent VAR review, what, what did you think of it? Because I, I've heard takes in multiple directions on that red card. So while, while watching the game, um, I was listening to the commentary and th- they did bring up a very good point. Chelsea was backed up in their own area, kind of under panic. And so they Southampton was putting pressure on. And that's just a tackle that we've seen numerous amounts of times. Um, I'm, I'm not upset at the challenge. However, he did catch him high. We've, We've also been witness to fouls where it's gone higher up the leg, stud showing, everything like that, and it's only been a yellow. We've seen other things where it's been less than that, and it's also been a red. It, I think it's a very, it's a very subjective call. Um, for Chelsea, I think it was a benefit because you lose arguably their best player for Southampton. Um, one of their most dangerous people, especially on set pieces, corners, anything like that. He's got a hell of a right foot and everybody knows that. Um, do I think it was a red by letter of the law? It probably was in the moment considering how kind of free-flowing that game had been, I think it should have just stayed as a yellow. Yeah, and my my initial thought on well, when I saw it live uh, before the VAR replay was red. 
Uh, I was surprised that he was given the yellow. I didn't think that there was the intent there, you know, necessarily malicious intent. But if you look at where he caught him, where he caught Jorginho, that could have been a season-ending injury. You know, he, he caught him in, in a way where, you know, you get those weird knee bends and, you know, you, you never know, as I'm sure you know, Matt's a sufferer of many knee injuries. <laughs> you, you never know what's going to, what's going to bend a funny way, what's going to stretch a funny way. And it, so I, I thought it was reckless and I thought unneeded. Um, so, by, you know, my, my first thought was red and then going to the VAR and it just confirmed it. It, it was cringy for me to watch but I'm yeah, and, yeah and it's 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 one of those things where you know you, you have to know the player too james ward prowse is not the kind of guy that's gonna go out there and just search for reds he's not sergio ramos like he he's not going out, he's not pepe he's not going out there for like looking to hurt people um you know he was in the moment it, it was Chelsea was under was under fire and he just went to to make a play on the ball to try and keep the pressure on him. I understand that. It it did catch him a little bit higher than I think he really wanted it to go. So looking at the looking at the person versus the actual foul, I don't think that there was intent. But then when you look at it on VAR, you look at it in slow-mo, like obviously everything looks looks worse in slow-mo like we know that um and now that officials have the ability to see that it's a different story i think initially he got it right with a yellow once he was able to see the slowdown to var which that is something i also want to touch on um it 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 did look like it it did look like it it could have been a, a red card offense. Um, and they looked at it a lot. Like they took a lot of time looking at that. It, like it was probably two, three minutes. They took a lot of time looking at it. So clearly they were kind of torn on whether it, it really should or shouldn't be. So I, I think that is a prime example of one of those kind of gray area. You're not really sure you already gave the yellow. Is it really a red? Um, I, I think it's, I think that was a prime example of one of those calls. Yeah. And I had that next to my list here. Let's, let's talk about VAR. Uh, you know, there, there's a couple decisions, uh, lately that have gone, that have gone against Chelsea. Uh, you know, certainly Timo Werner's goal in the first half comes to mind. Uh, but this one, I, I was half jokingly, half seriously thinking, okay, they're going to call this back. They're going to rescind the yellow and give it to Jorginho for simulation. Just because that's been Chelsea's luck with VAR. Uh, what are you thinking in, in regards to the video replay? I'm going to go one step further. The VAR official for the Southampton game, Mike Dean. Everyone's favorite referee. <laughs> he is, oh, I don't even know what to say about him. If he can't make the game about himself, he doesn't have a good game. He has to be in control of everything. And then you give him VAR capability. Like, honestly, I think he made the game about himself, which which annoys me. Then we go to Martin Atkinson. That's a – you guys know my thoughts on that. We were 
texting the entire time. I, eh, just suspect at best. I, I think he's very in the mo- he's a very in the moment official. He, he will pull one just based on the moment. He will pull one just to set the tone, make sure he's in charge. I think he's kind of an offshoot of Mike Dean. Not to the extent of Mike Dean, but he's pretty close. I hmm. I would love to see a, a WWE match tag team. Mike Dean and uh, Atkinson against Jorginho and Dave. Well, no, yeah. I mean, sorry, Ru- it, Rudy and Luca. Yeah, Cook. there you go. You, you need Rudy. In there. <laughs> you got to have Rudy. Um, I, I, I thought that I thought that he didn't have – I thought that Martin Atkinson didn't have a good control of the game, and he left a lot of it up to Mike Dean to make that decision, and he's going to make the game about himself, and I think that's what he did. Yeah. But the- as, far as, as far as VR as a whole, I, they, they need to solidify the laws against – my biggest thing, what's a handball and what's not. They have to hammer down that rule and and just stick with it. Right now, it's so indecisive. It's so subjective. You have no idea if you're getting called for a handball or not because if it deflects but it catches you and you're you're on the you're on the offensive side of the ball, you're on the attacking side. But if it just accidentally hits your hand, it's not a goal. But if it accidentally hits your hand as a defender, then it's not a penalty. I think there is a very – there needs to be a solidified line between what is a handball, what is not a handball. They move to this new thing where, yeah, if it catches part of the jersey, which is like part of the sleeve, then it's fine. Like it, I think that they're they're trying to make it – they're trying to make it easier, but they're confusing it even more. Yeah, I think the, the first step to correcting VAR is just making it consistent. A VAR review should not be subject to whoever the VAR referee is. Uh, you know, it should be just like the NFL inside the, the two-minute warning. It should be just like MLB, um, you know, any, any, any scoring play, anything like that. The and the, the thing that defines that for me is you look at Werner's first goal. By the way, Werner, has, <laughs> I saw the stat today. Now has had 16 goals disallowed in the Premier League by VAR, which is astounding. Uh, but the most recent one, the 16th one, was eventually called back because of foul that had happened 18 seconds earlier, after Chelsea had already built up play, crossed the ball back and forth. I believe three times <laughs> and reset play. They reset <laughs> Southampton had time to get themselves a line before Cho even brought that ball across again. But, but you look for comparison to Chelsea playing Leicester in the FA cup final where uh, on Thielman's goal, the mm-hmm. winning goal, Vardy had contact the ball with his hand 10 seconds earlier, but they ruled that that was too far back to review it was not involved in the goal but you're but mike dean is now telling me that 18 seconds that have gone by and a whole new attack has gone by that okay now we need to review this and, the, and 
Uh, yeah, it, needs, it needs, needs to be consistent from the league. Agreed. And I mean, you even we even go back further. I believe Mike Dean was the head official for the Liverpool game when Reese got sent off. Uh, no, it's uh, Anthony Taylor. Was that Taylor? But I either way, I thought it was Mike Dean. Either way, went to the VAR screen, saw a still, a still shot, and immediately red card. Didn't even look at anything live motion. Didn't even look at a slow-mo. Saw a still and was like, nope, gone. Like, how how is that even granted? And we've talked about this. Granted, yeah, he did kind of nudge his, his right arm out. But at the same time, it also came off his leg before it even hit his arm. But he saw a still of it. And then he immediately read like there is no consistency with VAR. I think I think VAR is a good thing. However, they need to wrap their heads around some sort of consistency behind VAR. How far back do you need to go in order to assess something like that? Like you said, yeah, Dave clipped Kyle Walker Peters. Whatever. Barely clipped them. Yes, it gave Chelsea possession in the final third, but there were so. But we crossed the ball in twice. Then Cho got it on the opposite side of the field, reset. He stood there with the ball, waiting for somebody to come out to him, and nobody did. And Southampton completely reset their back line, and then he throws a ball in. We score the goal, and no, it's disallowed. Like, like, what is the appropriate amount of time? To me, it is – VAR is hurting itself because there are no set rules around it. It's good in theory, but the way that it's executed, as we've seen multiple times, is is absolute trash. It just is. And until they come up with some sort of consistency, it's it's always going to be a joke, which a lot of managers perceive that as. Yeah, and it, you know whether it means it's tested in the lower leagues or health tested in Concacaf, where they currently don't use it outside of MLS. It, it, it needs to be fine tuned. Uh, but I am glad again. I, I mentioned earlier, Timo Werner, sixteen disallowed goals in his short time at Chelsea, has one disallowed in this game. That comes back and scores what at this point may be the the goal of the season. It, it, it was absolutely beautiful. Um, you know, our boy, Ross the Boss, coming in, his second touch, throws an absolute beauty out to Dave. Inch-perfect pass right to his, to his right foot. Dave hits it sweetly, crosses it right across the six-yard box, finds Timo. Ram was, Ram was lurking in the back just in case, but – and then Timo capitalizes. Um, I, I read something today that since Tuchel has taken over, Timo has the most he, – he has been a part of the most either goals or build-up to goals out of any Chelsea player. Since, like, Frank Lampard. 
Well, yeah, since, since, that, since, that since, that. since Tuchel got hired, Timo has been the the most involved in all gorse and all of the goal scoring opportunities out of anybody on the team. Like the kids got to play. She just does. Collins, I know you're celebrating <laughs> right now. Like, Thank I, you. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm in agreement, and and I'm in agreement for two reasons. One, nobody else is doing jack shit. Kai, honestly, after watching, here here's here's my Arsenal moment. After <laughs> after watching the Juve game, Chesney could have been in the shower smoking a cigarette like he was at Arsenal, and we still would not have scored. Very well could have been. It was that bad. Kai had plenty of chances. He's 6'3". How is he getting outbeat by midfielders that are 5'7 on a header? How? Like, the the sheer physics of that are mind-boggling. I'm 6'3". There is no way that anybody 5'7 should even be close to me if I'm jumping and trying to head a ball. But Kai, I'll, I'll come out and say it. He's soft. He is soft. He is Cottonelle soft. Anytime somebody gets close to him, he tries to be a, like a technician. Sorry. Like it might've, it might've worked for you in the Bundesliga where, you know, nobody is probably as good as the premier league. If you look at top to bottom, teams are probably not that great, comparatively speaking. But going up against Juve, he got bodied. Like, it wasn't even close. Like, people that are that are shorter than him, they're winning headers against him. He's just kind of going up there because he thinks because he's taller, he's going to win the ball. He's not. Other people are going at it aggressively. He's just going up trying to – hope that his height carries him like he needs to do more absolutely and uh yeah i, I do want to get back to timo here but yes. just my, my kind of closing thought on kai is i said this again in the city match it's he he looks lazy he's not joining in the in, in the pressure you know he's, he's leaving an opening for teams to beat the press uh he's not making runs he's standing around off the ball He's not contributing, and when we have five defenders, unfortunately, we need we need whoever's up top with Big Brown and Timo to to move. Um, and for that price tag, your ass should be moving. So yeah. that, that's that, that's my last thought on on Kai. But it, yeah. it does it is, does tie in well to, to my thoughts on Timo. It's not always pretty to watch Timo play. It, a lot of times, his first touch isn't the greatest. But unlike Kai and unlike Ziyech, he makes those runs. He's always in a dangerous spot. You know, whether he gets called offside or not, or, you know, whether that first touch is bad, he's at least getting into dangerous positions. He's at least getting into a spot where something may open up for Rom or he can open something up for himself. I mean, just, just before the, the goal, which was brilliant, he had that great drive into the box around three Southampton defenders 
And if not for a worldly save, he would have had another one. Uh, I'm just so impressed with Timo, and I will forever be on the Timo train. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, you look at this goal, and it's everything that we have wanted out of Chelsea, going back to, to when Lampard came on board. You had a worldy ball in by the English Andrea Pirlo. You had an overlapping run by Dave with a beautiful first-time cross. And you had not one, but two forwards in the box. And Timo whiffed on that. He had a big rom right behind him. When was the last time we saw that? It was fantastic. It was by far, again, up to that point, goal of the season. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just just watching it, um, you know, and like you have to th- you have to think about everything that went into it. That ball from Ross. Oh, it was sexy to watch. Like, I, that's the only <laughs> way I can say it. It was sexy. Like he hit that on a nice line drive. He hit Dave in stride right on his right foot. A nice low cross the field ball caught him pure. And that was Ross's second touch of the match after he just came on. To be able to do that, like, that's asking a lot out of anybody. I don't care who you are. But the fact that he hit it on a dime, Dave, love Dave. We all love Dave. He hit that ball so sweet. Nice, low-driven ball across the six-yard box. Timo there, like, you – Timo is – is a person that I think you have to root for because he gives everything whenever he's out there. Like you don't see him slacking. He is going as hard as he can for as long as he can, like to keep up, especially with his pace, like to do that for 90 minutes is asking a lot, but he still doesn't like, and he's, Obviously, we know the slump that he had last year, and for lack of a better word, he had the yips. But now you see he's in a slightly different role. He's not being that number nine. He's somebody who can play off of that number nine, which I think that's where he thrived at Leipzig. He he was able to play off of other people. He was able to make those runs, and I think that's that's his best attribute is he will keep going. He will keep making those runs. It, it's just got to be about timing and, and making sure that, that he can finish when the opportunity presents, presents itself. And I think he's gaining more confidence in, in that regard. And I, I think tying this in with, with Kai, I think you're, you're starting front three until Pulisic comes back. Now has to be Timo, Big Rom, and Mason Mount. I mean, you, you saw the, the difference in energy as soon as, and I know he came on for your guy Cho, but as soon as Mount came on in the 65th, again, we had runs going into the box. We had runs off the ball. We had an outlet for Big Rom when he takes that, that first ball. Uh, you, you, you had creativity, which is something that we have been lacking. And, you know, Mount may be out of form, but he can still do those little things, like, like make those runs. The, the difference in, in gameplay with that front three 
compared to Kai, Ziek, and Big Rom was night and day. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was actually fun to watch. It, 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 it was something that we haven't seen in a, in a long time. Um, you know, obviously Mount with what he did last year, just, you know, blowing up the Premier League, basically. Um, you know, he did his thing, obviously, to start the season, a little bit out of form. Um, not what we're used to seeing, but, I mean, he came on for 30 seconds and changed the game almost immediately. And, and that's what we come to know from Mason. Like that's, he, he is, he is capable and he has set that bar high enough to where that is what we expect out of him. And that's what he expects out of himself. And like I said, he comes on for 30 seconds, almost creates a goal scoring opportunity right away. Like you, you can't ask for much more if he's coming off the bench. Like if you're going to create an opportunity like that, absolutely. Then you look at Ross coming off the bench. I'm so happy he's getting more minutes. I like, I am extremely happy for him and he's showing it. Like he's showing that he can still play. He's not just some laid back midfielder or whatever. Like he can still play. He still has a lot of worth. He still provides a lot of creativity that I think is lacking, especially in the later parts of the game. You know, if we've been in this position where we're Ziek, Havertz, and, and whoever, but he can provide that spark, and so can Mason. And once Pulisic is back, you know, well, we have to wait and see what that does. I, I think if you do run something up top, you go, you go Mason, you go Big Rom, and then you go Pulisic. You, you spark that creativity. Worst case scenario, you bring one of them off the bench. In the, in the late minutes when somebody's when the defense is tired because you've been running them ragged, you bring somebody in with that pace, with that quickness, that creativity, give you something different, and then you go off of that. Yeah, and was was Mount involved? I, it all happened so quickly in the the double post Chilwell screamer. Oh, good lord! Uh, with uh, did that, Mace have did Mace have the first shot there? Um, I'm trying to remember. Um, that's tough. I I don't remember offhand. It might have been it might have been Dave. Dave, Rom, and then Chills. Yeah, but, but either way, like <laughs> anyway. whoever did that, that sequence was one of the most astounding things I've ever seen in my life. If you did not get a chance to watch it, please go look at it. By far, <laughs> one of the most ridiculous things that I think myself, Collins, Parker, all of us have ever seen. Two posts back to back, and then a half volley that just got across the touchline, which luckily got across the touchline because it was an amazing save by Martinez to to even save that ball. Like it was absolutely ridiculous. The fact they even got hands to it and kicked it out, like that was absolutely nuts. Luckily, it crossed, which that was much needed for not only Chelsea, but also Ben Chilwell. 
yeah, I've, I've never seen FIFA come to life so yeah. accurately. Yeah, <laughs> in, that's, in that's, a, that's a great way to that's a great way to put it. Uh, uh, we, we, for, we we oh, we go ahead. I say we uh, the, the three of us used to have a little game when we would play FIFA together. Um, every time you you hit the post, you would you know take take a little ripper of a uh, of a shot of something, usually cake, usually UV cake. Uh, th- there was there was so much. We were all messaging each other. We didn't know. We didn't even know what to say. We're just like, what just happened? It was one of the most FIFA-esque things you could ever see in real life. It was nuts. Yeah, that, that it would have resulted in a controller through the window for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh huh. But chills. I mean, good on him. It was hell, hell of a hit uh, off the volley. Perfectly struck. Uh, again, bar- barely made it past the uh, the goal line there, but to and to come back after conceding a very, very, very silly penalty uh, must have been must have felt great for him, especially with his counterpart Alonzo also struggling at the moment. Yeah, which uh, which I think brings us to our uh, our biggest debate. Who who is the starting left back? I mean, you you have you have Alonzo, who great left foot. I don't think anybody's arguing that. Suspect on defense, very suspect. Not that quick. Um, Are you talking about Hakeem Zia? Other side of the pitch. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Unless you're talking about Juve, then same side. Yeah. Um, but you know, Alonso is he, he's he's technical. I'll give him that. I I don't trust him on the defensive side. He's proven to be sustainable on, on at a left back position. But then you have chills. I, I'm a big fan of, of of chills, but after seeing him pull off the John Terry hat trick, I <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Can you know the John Terry hat trick? It there are variations, but concede a penalty, they score, um, then score score a goal after, you know, it just. And Andy got carded. Andy got a yellow card. So you and know, it's, uh, score with your teammate's wife. Well, Sorry. I, I don't. I, well, well, we'll wait for the tabloids on that one. But um, that's 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 a whole different story. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, he like he had an up and down game. He he had the the full plethora of of emotions in that game. Made Southampton tie it. Got carded. Then all of a sudden he has this beautiful strike. Um, you know, I, I I talked to Collins and 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 Parker about this. I said, if if you really break it down, we probably have two of the most technically sound left backs from an attacking perspective in the world. 
when you talk about left backs that can hit it on a volley, a half volley off their left, I think we have two of the best, no doubt. It's the defensive side of it that I'm worried about because that has been a problem uh, more recently than it has shown in, in previous, uh, previous outings. See, and I, I was going to put Tuchel on blast on this pod had we not won, uh, and mainly because of tactics. You know, I don't necessarily know if it's his tactics, if it's the players not doing what he's asking, uh, but there, you know, there's some kind of disconnect here, and as the manager, he needs to make a change. Left back was one of them. Alonzo was struggling. He continually turned to him. Uh, Alonzo is not a natural wing back. He doesn't naturally fit this system. He's not a great attacker. He can put in a good ball, but he's not a great attacker. Doesn't make those overlapping runs. Chills is a better defender uh, than Alonzo. Again, can put in a great ball, but has mental lapses as you know, we, we saw this week. And then on the other side of the pitch, you have Dave, who again, not a natural back, isn't I, I don't see the, the comfortability in, in him getting up the pitch as the main attacking threat off the wing. Reese James is really the only one who fits that, but he's out for six to seven weeks with an ankle injury. So why are we still running a 5-3-2? Why do we need a left wing back? I mean, ultimately, you're going to play Dave. Dave has to play as the captain. So you're going to stick him on the right, especially with no Reese James. But how about instead of Alonzo, instead of Chills, throw Cho out there? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it's something that, that I've talked about before. You know, if, if Reese is out, if Dave is out, like, like whatever the case is, you can throw Cho back there. I think Tuchel is, has shown that he trusts Cho to, to be able to, to handle that. Probably not for a full 90, but he's somebody that could, you know, if you rely on Dave for 60 minutes, you can throw Cho in at the end and you're, you know, you're, you're good to go. Um, I, I, I completely agree in the fact that Dave is definitely not a right wing back. However, we've seen him make all those runs years prior, getting up the pitch, just flying down the wing. We've seen him do that before, so it's not it's not uncommon. I think the fact that he's more in the attacking position is a little bit foreign to him. Um, you know, we, we've obviously followed them a long time. He can make those darting runs down the pitch. You know, when we had Murata, um, he would find him all the time when Murata was onside. Um, you know, he would he would find him easily because he made those runs. But I think now pushing Dave a little bit more forward, he's not as comfortable in, in that position as it would be as just like a natural right back that would occasionally make like a darting run. So I, I think it's going to take a little bit of time. I think he's doing well, but I think Reese is your more 
your more overall, you know, right wing back. You know, he's physical enough. He can play defensively. He can run up. He can run up the field. He throws in a great ball. Cho, I mean, you run him as a, as we saw, as a left mid. Like you run him as a right wing back. Like he can go wherever. Um, so you have that option, but he's definitely more attack minded. I think Reese is kind of your better, your better overall in that right wing back position. Uh, and the, the other thing I wanted to kind of put Tuchel on blast for here, uh, really awful transition, but uh, is the, the use of Big Rob. And I guess it's not so much putting, putting him on blast here, but more posing the question, is, is Big Rob more of a club signing or is this a Tuchel guy? What, what are your thoughts on it? So initially I thought, yeah, he was all on board, which he very may well be, but he doesn't seem to fit the system. He, it, it seems like Harry Kane would have been a great option. Um, you know, certainly Erling Holland would have been a great, great fit, but somebody who makes, makes the runs um, as opposed to somebody who holds up play. So I guess what, what I'm seeing here, because it, what we're seeing this year doesn't match what we saw last year when we had Werner as a striker and Giroux and Tammy, where there was so much creativity, there was so much movement. We didn't convert a lot of those chances, but we had the chances. This year, we don't have the chances, but we're converting more of them. And looking back at what Tuchel has had, you know, PSG's had guys who make runs. He had Mbappe, he had Neymar. Uh, you, know, you go back to, to his days at, at Dortmund and at Mainz, he's never really had the, the holdup guy. So my, my thought is, is Tuchel playing this because Marina and Roman are telling him he has to? I, you know, if you, if you look at it from, from that perspective, I get it. The way that I look at it is, you know, Rom isn't getting the service that he needs. Like he's really not. And we'll go back to Kai and Ziek and whoever, like he's not getting the service. Um, and to, to be a, to be the striker that he was at Inter. Oh, he had that plenty. He had other attacking options that would be dangerous going forward nobody's scared of Kai going forward. Nobody's scared of Zia going forward. Like, they're just not. Enter, you had that plenty. But, like, it's just weird to me because if you look at it in, like, an overarching kind of idea, it's it's a faster, younger Olivier Giroud. It, it, it really is. You you have a striker who is who you're using as a link-up player to hold up the ball and then set up your wingers. The only problem is our wingers are not moving forward unless they're team all. So what so what you're saying is it's not necessarily the player doesn't fit the system. It's more of the system doesn't fit the player. Yeah, I think so. 
Um, it, it's just more of like, you know, Rom Rom's going to do Rom things, right? Like he's he's a, a big guy. He's going to roll roll defenders off the shoulder. Like that's just what he does. He's got a great left foot. He's going to score when when he has the service. I don't think he has the service right now. Yeah, and uh, you know, I'm not sure if you saw what uh, Antonio Conte said about Big Rom this week about how Chelsea's they don't know how to use him. Uh, but they're saying, you know, he's got the pace. He can certainly run at defenders. He can run into space. Uh, you know, you can take him on the counter. You can certainly use him as Chelsea has been. But he has all these other other facets to the game. I started to the reason why I held off on necessarily putting Tuchel or the club on blast is that I started seeing a little bit more of it from Big Rom against Southampton. So whether that's the influence of Timo Werner being on the pitch, uh, or whether that's Tuchel, you know, making an executive decision. I did see Rom running at the defense a little bit more. I saw them playing him into space, and you know, it seemed like he went in eyes wide, ready to go. So ho- hopefully it's turning a corner. Uh, but yeah, just something that I noticed that he doesn't necessarily fit Tuchel's system, and we'll, it'll be interesting to see how that changes or how it doesn't change coming out of the international break. Well, I mean, and and the big thing is that, you know, if you look at the teams that Tuchel has had, you know, he had Dortmund, he had PSG, so he had Mbappe, he had Neymar, um, he had, you know, he had Aubameyang for a little bit. Like, he had legitimate strikers, but those are also strikers that make runs. Rom is not necessarily a run, a make-a-run type person. He's somebody who's going to roll people off the shoulders. So I, I think it's a different dynamic that Tuchel is trying to kind of figure out like what to do with him and figure out a way to get him the service that he needs to make him successful. Um, who was the manager at Inter? Was that Conte? Yep. He found a way to make it work. I mean, hell, he found a way with, uh, with, with my boy Michi. Like he, he was able to find a way to even make that work. Like it, he, I, I think that with, with Rom, it just comes down to getting him service, give him a chance to be more than just the, the big boy in the box that can, that can hold up play, like give him a chance to actually attack, give him those, those situations where he can kind of go one-on-one and just, can go more direct than, than what he's been doing instead of just this link-up play. Yeah, and with, with that creativity, I got one last question here for you that, that we'll discuss. Uh, Christian Pulisic has now gone international break to international break without featuring. Uh, after we were told that it was a slight ankle injury, uh, the U.S. men's national team is reporting he should be back within about 10 days. Uh, it's now been several weeks and still... I believe Tuchel said this week it's still too painful for him to train with the team, so he's still training on his own. Uh, are, are you concerned about Christian? So I, I will, I will bring this up. I uh, I talked to my father about this, 
And I, I, I really think that he has a, a legitimate point. Christians hurt all the time. It is, and, and this might feed into a segment for next week, is, is Christian potentially a flop as, as a U.S. men's national team player? Like, he's always hurt. Like he really, he's always hurt, whether it's a hamstring or an ankle or something. When was the last time you played a full season? That's 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 something I would really like to know. And it's just weird to me that, you know, he goes on these runs where he's good for, you know, two months and then all of a sudden all his hamstring uh it's his ankle granted he is playing a much so he's an interesting spot because he is essentially the face of of u.s soccer like he is he's really the face of it from an international perspective and from U.S., like, if you ask somebody, well, who do you know from the U.S. men's national team? Name one person, Christian Pulisic. Like, that's going to be almost automatic. Um, I, I think he has a ton of pressure on him. And it, it for, for lack of a, of a better analogy, it almost seems like that weight is kind of causing all these injuries because he's supposed to be playing for this big club at Chelsea. You know, we, we paid him a shitload of money to, to be the right wing and, and to do what he does. He's always injured. And then he goes on these spurts where he does great with Chelsea, and then he goes to the U.S. men's national team, and then it's completely different, and then all of a sudden he's injured again for another month or two. It's almost like the weight of all of that is, like, physically crippling him. Yeah, and I, I think, honestly, what's hurting his club career is his international career. Uh, it, it's widely known that CONCACAF is garbage. Yeah, the, That's putting it nicely. The, <laughs> it's hashtag concacaf Yes. The, the, teams, it, the teams themselves are getting better. You know, Jamaica has, has come up now. Uh, Costa Rica has gotten better. Panama is always there. Canada is getting better. Um, but you, you look at where they play, and it's just asking for an injury. The, the pitches, God, they look like baseball fields. Like, you remember when the Raiders used to play at the same field that the Oakland A's played in? Oh, yeah. And you had the baseball field on one set. That's exactly what CONCACAF is. You got half a dirt pitch. The other half is real shoddy grass. And then you have referees that don't know how to referee or in some cases, as we've seen recently, are being paid by national federations. You have so much corruption in the region. And ultimately, it's, it's tough to play in. How many times do you see a crunching tackle go, that is a no call? Or, you know, Somebody, somebody is out injured for 
eight to nine weeks after being uh, basically scissor kicked in CONCACAF. And then, you know, ah, no yellow card. That's that's foul, I guess. I think it, it'll never happen. But for the sake of the club, for the sake of his club career, and for the sake of the longevity of his career, he needs to retire U.S. men's national team. Don't bother with the travel. Don't bother. Don't bother with the the awful pitches. Don't deal with the awful referees and awful other players. Stay in England. Stay in Europe if that's where he ultimately goes. And just focus on the football there because he could be so much more than what he is. But I swear, it's every time he comes back from international duty, he comes back injured. I so. So I, I will ask this question in, in retaliation to that. Is that on is that on Christian or is that on the the US men's national team and the federation to start realizing that? Oh Greg Craig Burhalter doesn't do him any favors. Craig Craig Burhalter is constantly fighting for his job. He, he's going to consistently field his best lineup. The only reason he's not on this international break is because they're all injured, well, except for Weston McKinney, who's just an idiot. But it's the, they are never going to treat Pulisic like somebody who needs to be held like in bubble wrap. Anytime he's available, anytime he's fit, he's going to go 90. He's going to go play on those awful pitches. And being the only creative player on that team, he's going to be chopped down 10 times a game. The U.S. doesn't care. They deal with him one week, or not deal with him. They have him for one week a year, or not one week, man, one week a month. Um, it, I mean, really, any injury is going to be Chelsea's problem. It's not their problem. So I, I, I think it's on, it's on the U.S. To, to change their attitude, or conversely, it's on Christian to to make a decision what what he wants to do whether he wants to win a world cup with the u.s which is great or continue to win champions leagues with chelsea which is also great and i think both of our preferences as much as we love the u.s men's national team we're we're big fans i have a u.s men's national team pulisic jersey like we're we're fully committed the U.S. is not winning a World Cup for at least another 20 years. With, with the way things are going right now, it's just not possible. And again, we, we see them for one or two matches a month for three months, four months out of the year during international breaks. But other than that, it's Chelsea week in and week out. Yep. So at this point, and I know I'm not Christian, it's not up to me, uh, but I'm making a heck of a lot of money at Chelsea, not making a heck of a lot of money with the U.S. national team. But it's, club has got to be my priority, club over country. Yep, and 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 granted, you know, kind of which uh, that's a tough ask because you know if if you look at it from the standpoint of like the Olympics, if you're asked to play for your country and represent your country in something like the Olympics or even you know a World Cup qualifier, like. Yeah, you you obviously want to like that, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. Like, I'm sure everybody would love for that. 
but at the same time, when the when the source of your injuries usually come from playing in those games, and then that impacts what you do for your club, and then you're just, you know, a hundred million dollars realistically just kind of sitting there trying to rehab. You're you're basically just rehabbing for a hundred million dollars, right? What what's the point granted you're getting paid for it like that's fine but at the same time like you you want to show what you can do and right now it's almost kind of been labeled like well you're kind of a liability more than you are an asset which knowing Chelsea and the way that they operate Collins you and I know better than anybody else we know what that means. That means, hey, loan army. <laughs> you're going on loan, or you're going to be transferred. So it, it, we we don't want to see that at all. You know, there's there's obviously a lot of skill, a lot of potential. We've seen it. It's just a matter of keeping him healthy, and I, and I think that focusing solely on Chelsea is, is going to be the the biggest, is, it's going to be the biggest benefit to, to his career long-term. The U S will be fine. Right. Like Christian isn't even their most prolific goal scorer. <laughs> like if we look at it, he's really not even, he doesn't really score like a lot of the goals. Yeah. He'll take PKs every now and again, but I mean, you have a bunch of other people, like the U.S. men's national team is growing. So you have people playing in Europe, so it's growing, but you don't need one person to every single, every single international break to try and carry the entire team. Right. Spread, spread the wealth a little bit, Greg. Collins, where are we at for time? Because I want to bring up one other thing if we, if we have a little bit. Uh, I think we're just over an hour. We can. Uh, All right. Well, we'll what, what's up? We'll, we'll, we'll hit it real quick. RLC. Oh yeah, that was in my notes. I forgot him. <laughs> where? No, you're good. Where? Where are we at? Where are we at with RLC? Starter. Over who? Yeah. Rotate. <laughs> well, you can't say starter and then rotate. No, Come no, 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 no. So Conte is your number one, obviously. Uh, Jorginho is your number two. Yeah, yeah. Okay. For for those who don't see at home, Matt just gave me frowny face. Uh, so Jorginho number two, Kova number three. Rotate those three. You know, when, when Conte's injured, when Conte needs a break, throw in Jorginho. When you have a team pressing you, you throw in Kova. And when you need uh, Andrea Pirlo, you throw in Ross Boss. So where does RLC fit into that? Oh, sorry. He's your other starting alongside this rotating group. Oh, okay. Um, well, obviously, Conte, when he's, when he's healthy, you know, obviously like he has to be there he holds down the midfield he'll he'll do what he needs to 
Koba's your number two. I granted, I just I before the pod, I just watched the Juve match. Jorginho didn't do a damn thing. What I did see of him was the same thing that I've known him to do. Try and make like a lunging tackle. And then all of a sudden it didn't work. And then he just kind of relied on the defense to pick up the scraps. And he just kind of looked back and kind of walked. That's kind of what I know him to do, which he does a lot. Conte, I would say Conte, Kova. Kova was arguably the most creative player we had in in the Juve match. (laughs) But he was arguably, honestly, the most creative player that we had at least making runs. Um, but I would say I'll put RLC above of Saul uh, by all means. Like, like Saul, he hasn't proven himself yet. RLC has. I, I would say based on if, if I'm Tuchel and I know, and I like to think I know how he operates, but I'm, you know, grasping at straws here. RLC should probably be your number four midfielder. It's ro- rotated through once every other match, every every three matches, something like that. Yep, I, I think he is above Saul. I definitely above Ross. Um, but I think he is he is your number four. I, I, I think that's where he's getting where he's at with the way he's been playing lately, he could be a number three. We all know, at least followers of of the pod, they all know who I would replace uh, RLC with, but for, for that number three spot, but it, it no. I, honestly, <laughs> I, I think that he does a much better job. His passing is great. He's a bigger, he's a bigger body, a bigger presence. Um, and yeah, that's just kind of how, how I look at it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think he's definitely worked his way up there again for me. I, it's, you can't take him out of the lineup, rotate everybody else at this point. Uh, but long-term I, I tend to agree with that. I'd say he's probably our third best midfielder at the moment. All right. Well, on that wonderful note, uh, I think we've about hit time for today. So Chelsea is off international break uh, come up this week. We will still record. We will uh, flood your ears with our nonsense. Uh, so yeah, we will be back next Sunday. Uh, make sure to check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at flag down pod. Uh, you can also find us wherever you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple, Google, etc. Again, just search flag or the flag stays down podcast. Uh, thanks again for listening. And uh, Matt, we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. Cheers, brother. Cheers.